the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. And Jesus, in the scriptures, he, he just was never hurried. He was never rushed. He was never impulsive. He was always attuned to the divine timing and the will of the Father. And I share this because it's important for us to remember that God's, and I put this in quotation marks, God's tardiness, because His timing is always perfect, but our perceived tardiness, God's tardiness, is not a reflection of indifference. Do you ever feel like God's not answering your prayers or moving on your behalf fast enough? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he shares with you that God's perceived tardiness is not a reflection of indifference. God truly cares about the details within your life. Pastor Gary encourages you to remember that God's timing is always perfect and to look to Jesus as the model of trust. He always trusted His Father's timing. He was never rushed. He trusted in his Father. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John, chapter 11, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. John chapter 11, this is a great chapter. I mean, you know, all the Bible is great, but this, but this is a particular story that is found only here in John's Gospel. Now, my Bible has it subtitled, The Death of Lazarus. Those subtitles are interjected by man, so I'm not trying to change Scripture when I say that I, I wish that the subtitle had been entitled instead, The Resurrection of Lazarus, okay? Because it's not really about this death as much as it is highlighting his resurrection. And we'll take it in sections. I'm going to read the first section, verse 1 down through verse 16. But, you know, I love this story for many reasons, one of which obviously is because this is a real story about a man who was raised from the dead by Jesus. I also love it because of just the human interaction here and what I think is a very human story in terms of the reaction of his sisters, Lazarus's sisters, to the perceived delay of Jesus. Uh, I personally think they get a little miffed with him. Uh, maybe that's just my distorted view of the story, but I, I'm going to tell you why I think so, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to build the case for it, that they're not happy with Jesus in this story, though they are the best of friends. So we see a very human aspect to this story, where even good people who are friends can sometimes disagree and be upset with each other. And then, of course, you have this crowning verse here where Jesus says in this chapter, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. 
So, I mean, this is just an incredible chapter on many levels. And so I'm going to read the first section, then we'll comment, and then I'll read the next section and comment. But let's just make our way uh, through this 11th chapter of the Gospel of John. It says in verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of, his, of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. All right, well, that's valiant of you, Thomas, but, you know, this is not, he's not going to die just yet. Uh, this is about raising Lazarus from the dead. By the way, Didymus, in parenthesis there, translates twin. So Thomas had a twin, and uh, he's also known as Doubting Thomas. He's the one who's, you know, always questioning things. And we see him appearing here later in John's Gospel when he wasn't there, and he didn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. So, you know, Thomas has his own issues, okay? But for the moment, he's very valiant in what he's, let's just go with him. If he's going to die, let's just all die with him. Who's with us? You know, rah, rah, that kind of a thing. Okay, calm down, Tom. That's not really what's happening just yet. But Jesus gets word here with his disciples about his good friend Lazarus who is sick and near death. Now, there are three stories in the Bible where Jesus raises someone from the dead. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. That is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not found in John's Gospel. He raises the widow's son from Nain, the town of Nain. That's only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And then he raises Lazarus here in this chapter, and this is the only place, and this is probably the most well-known of the three resurrection stories uh, in all of the Gospels. By the way, all three of those people that he raised from the dead did die. I mean, they would eventually die. This was a miracle for the moment, but they would all experience physical death eventually. But this is a testimony to the fact that Jesus is the author of life, and he is the one who can give life and take it away and raise it again. And it is going to be a commentary on his own power to rise from the dead as well. So he is the author of life. He holds the keys to death and hell. And so death and life, no challenge for God. But in this scene here, his good friend Lazarus, it says, was sick and dying. Now, Lazarus 
is really an abridged, it's kind of a short version of the Hebrew name Eliadzar. Eliadzar means God helps. So it's kind of a, you know, like William would be Bill. So Eliezer is just Lazarus. And, uh, but his name, his full name means God helps. He and his sisters, Martha and Mary, are personal friends of Jesus, close friends of Jesus. You see that revealed through the other Gospels as well, that Jesus has a very close friendship with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. It tells us also that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, their hometown was Bethany. And it tells us that in verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. And that is from two Hebrew words, Beit Ani. Now, I will tell you, and even pastors can grow and learn and change things, okay, that Bethany, Bethany in Hebrew, I always taught meant house of dates. Dates as in, you know, the equivalent to figs. So the, Israel is known for their figs and for their dates. House of dates. You read almost every English commentary that the scholars write about the, the translation of Bethany. Almost every single one translates house of dates. Beit meaning house, ani, they, they say means dates. But I came across one commentary a few years ago where ani translates poor. So when I was in Israel last, I started asking all the Israelis, what does Bethany mean? House of the poor, house of the poor. Every single time I ask somebody, house of the poor. So I'll take the, the fresh Israeli translation over the old crotchety translations of days gone by. Anyway, from scholars. So it means house of the poor. That's what it means. In other words, Bethany was known as a place where there was literally a poor house. It was a place where you could go if you were destitute and there was a place where you could live and lodge. Now that isn't necessarily where Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were living. Other people lived in the village of Bethany, but it was known for being a place where the poor and the indigent and those who were less fortunate were able to live and find lodging. So that's the scene here, Bethany, Lazarus, sick, dying. Jesus, it tells us in the previous chapter, at the end of chapter 10, verse 40, it says Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. So from Bethany to where we know Jesus is, about 20 miles. Jesus is about 20 miles away. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that one of his best friends, Lazarus, their brother, is sick near death. They want him to come. I mean, they know that this guy can do whatever he wants, and they believe in him, and so they, they appeal to him. If you have a loved one who's near death, and you, and you know that Jesus is the one who can heal this loved one, you're going to get word to Jesus to come to heal your loved one. That's what they're doing. Now, here he is 20 miles away, and he gets word. So maybe a messenger, maybe so, you know, somebody, obviously, in those days that had to be kind of a hand-delivered note. Somebody arrives, gives word to Jesus. There he is in this area on the other side of the Jordan where John the Baptist was known for baptizing. He's just with his disciples there, and he gets word. Hey, Lazarus is sick. Your friend, he's dying. And Jesus immediately gets up and rushes there. No, that isn't what he does at all. In fact, the irony of the whole thing is in verse 6, it says, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days, two more days. Now he's 20 miles away and on average 10 miles of walking in a day. It would have taken him two days to get there if he started to leave right when he got word. But the fact that he stays another two days, he's four days away. He's four days away. 
He just decides to lounge there. And there's this interesting dialogue that happens here with his disciples because they're a little confused. This looks a little unpastoral here. You just got word that, you know, one of your, one of your best friends, an elder in the church is sick and dying and you just want to sit here for two more days. And Jesus in this dialogue with them and he says, well, this is not going to be a, a sickness that results in death. He says there in verse four. Look at it again with me. He says, he says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Now, what Jesus was speaking of, and we have the benefit of the whole story, is Lazarus is going to die here, but what he's referring to is that he's going to be raised from the dead. So Jesus knows that ultimately this is not going to be a sad story of death. This is going to be a great story of life. This is not a sickness that will end in death. And that he goes on to say, no, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And his disciples here in verse 12, they say, well, back up in verse 11, Jesus says, Lazarus Lazarus has fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for death. And he says, I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples say, well, listen, you know, our mama's always taught us that if you're sick, you need to go to bed and get your rest. So if he's sick, why should we go and wake him up? And, And Jesus like, no, no, no. See, the kind of the kind of sleep I'm talking about is, well, let me just put it plainly to you. He's dead, okay? He's just dead. Now, I, you know, you got to understand this because in the day, they weren't always accurate about who was really dead or not. In fact, there was a superstition that the Jews believed that a soul would hover, that when someone died, a soul would hover for no more than three days, and the potential was for that soul to come back and for that person to be revived. So in you know, kind of a mythological tradition, they held to the idea that you know, you're not even really sure if somebody's dead for, for three days. Now, this is going to play out. That, that theory is going to play out as to why Jesus wants to delay for four days, okay? Because he wants to make sure that everybody knows that Lazarus is stone-cold dead, all right? That he's good dead, completely dead. I remember as a kid watching some Western cowboy movie TV show. I, don't, I just remember being in the living room. I don't know how old I was, maybe six or eight years old. I, don't, I had the cap guns. Did anybody else have the cap guns? Cap guns? All right. I don't know that the ladies should raise your hands, but the guys, you know, had the cap guns and a cowboy hat and the whole deal. I had the cowboy boots, you know, and I just, I just thought I was a cowboy. I remember watching this one cowboy, some Western movie thing. I don't know what it was. And, the, and they were, they had the, you know, the covered wagons and they were out in some in the middle of the Midwest and making their way across the country and, and somebody died along the way, okay? Somebody died and they buried him out there. And, and everybody was sad and, there, you know, and there's this little funeral service and this big pile of rocks there and then they made this wooden little makeshift little small cross and planted it right in the middle of the pile of rocks that they buried this guy. And then the wagon, the covered wagons start to move away in the prairie to leave. And, you know, everybody's sobbing and crying. And all of a sudden, the camera focuses in on the pile of rocks with the little cross there. And then the music gets really dun, 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 dun. And all of a sudden, this guy's hand comes up from the rocks. And the guy wasn't dead. And it terrorized me. I just remember watching it like, the guy's not dead. Now, this is some free information for you. But this is actually... Uh, no, this, this is related. Don't, don't, don't think it's not. This is all related. I'm tying it together. But um, just to show you that this is not an unusual phenomenon where people were, were buried back in the day and you weren't really sure if they were dead. I'm one of these people, I don't know about you, I like to find out the origin of expressions. Expressions like, 
graveyard shift, dead ringer. You ever wonder where those things came from? Let me tell you where it all came from. <laughs> 16th and 17th centuries, okay? We're talking about the 16th and 17th centuries. I read this thing. I think you'll enjoy this. Back in the day, 16th and 17th century, lead cups were used to drink ale or whiskey. Now, the mixture of lead, the lead would leach. People for centuries thought tomatoes were poisonous because they would serve them on lead plates and then the lead would leach into the tomatoes and people were dying from eating tomatoes. They thought for years that it was poisonous for centuries. Well, the same thing would happen with some ale and whiskey. You get a little leach and lead going on in your, in your brew and it, uh, the combination can be fatal or at least it can uh, kind of put you out for a few days. So the combination would sometimes knock them out for a couple of days. Someone walking along the road would take them for dead and prepare them for burial. They were laid out on the family's kitchen table for a few days, and the rest of the family would gather around, eat and drink, waiting to see if they would wake up, hence the custom of the phrase, awake. When you attend, I'm going to go to a, a, awake. The reason that phrase came to be was because they'd lay, they'd lay Johnny out on the kitchen table. And see if he'd wake up after a few days. If he didn't, well, he's dead. Let's go ahead and bury him. But you would attend to wake. That's where that expression came from. It would kind of ruin your dinner. But anyway, let's move him off the dinner table at least while we eat. When they started running out of places to bury their dead in England, they began digging up the older coffins and taking the bones to what they called the bone house to reuse the grave. They'd, they'd, just, they'd empty up the coffins, throw, throw the bones in, in, a, in a, something called the bone house. They'd reuse the graves. And as they were reopening the coffins to do this, they discovered that one in 25 coffins was found to have scratch marks on the inside of the lid. One in 25. They realized that they had been burying people alive. Okay, so they would tie, listen to what happened, they would tie a string onto the wrist of the corpse and lead the string through the coffin up through the ground and tie it to a bell. Someone would have to sit in the graveyard all night, thus came the expression, the graveyard shift. And they would listen for the bell, thus, saved by the bell. Okay? I'm not making this up, and it's not the TV show, okay? <laughs> Say by the bell. And the person who rang the bell was called a dead ringer. I'm not making this stuff up. That's where these expressions came from. So now you can leave here tonight if you forget anything else in the Bible. I hope you won't forget anything else in the Bible study. But you will now know where expressions came from, like awake, graveyard shift, uh, dead ringer, and saved by the bell. Anyway, there you go. So that's kind of what's happening here with Lazarus. Like, is, is this guy really dead? Yes, Jesus has to tell them plainly. Yes, I, I just was using a euphemism for the idea of sleep because this is not final. Yes, in fact, he says there in verse 14, Lazarus is dead. And he says, for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus intentionally waits these two more days. He just got word that one of his closest friends is sick and near death. You would probably do what, what I would do. You know, the natural impulsive reaction would be, wow, we, I got to go to this. I got to go. I got to go. And Jesus, in the scriptures, he, he just was never hurried. He was never rushed. He was never impulsive. He was always attuned to the divine timing and the will of the Father. And I share this because it's important for us to remember 
that God's, and I put this in quotation marks, God's tardiness, because his timing is always perfect, but our perceived tardiness, God's tardiness, is not a reflection of indifference. God's tardiness is not a reflection somehow of his indifference. And I love the way that in this story, John goes out of his way to let us know how much Jesus loved Martha and Mary. And Lazarus as well, because the sisters in verse 3, they sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. That word love there in the Greek is phileo, so he loves him like a brother. This is the, he has affection for Lazarus like a brother. And then John wants us to be reminded, verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And that word loved in, in that example in verse 5 is the Greek word agape. Agapeo, to love with, a, with the love of Christ, the love of the Lord. It's a deep love that comes through the bond of, of Christ. So he loves them not only affectionately as, as like a brother, but he loves them deeply as only can come from the Lord himself. And that we can share with one another in Christ because when we know him, then we can love each other in the love of the Lord with that agape love. So I, I, I appreciate that John emphasizes this because sometimes we interpret that God's tardiness, when God doesn't do something as quickly as we want Him to do it, and He doesn't seem to be answering our prayers, and He doesn't seem to be you know, doing things the way we hope that He would do it. We've been praying, we've been asking Him to do this, and, and asking Him to do that, and it's sometimes easy to interpret that when God is, quote, tardy, because we think He's not showing up on time, that it might be somehow a reflection of his indifference. And so for those of you who are taking notes, I just want to share three, three quick points from this story as we make our way through it. And the first one is, the delay of God does not mean he loves us less. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. And literally that Hebrew translates, he has made everything beautiful in his time. In his time. God has a perfect time. Some of you are anxious about why things haven't moved along, maybe in relationship or career or whatever it, it seems to be. And you, you've been praying about it. You've been asking the Lord, you know, please do this and please do that. And it seems to be no answer or a slow answer. And it's easy to get frustrated. And it's easy to become anxious and to become worried and afraid and all these kind of things. How, how our emotions begin to take over when we feel like God is not replying. And his delay seems to be some kind of an indication that he must not love us as much. Because look at so-and-so. They've been praying and they got it, you know, last week. And they only were praying like a day. I've been praying for like 10 years and I don't see the answer. And so sometimes we get that whole thing confused that his tardiness must be a reflection somehow of his indifference. But he's not tardy. His timing is always perfect. And his timing is perfect here as well. In fact, that's the second thing that we need to recognize in the story, that the timing of God is for the glory of God. Because if you'll notice there again in verse 4, twice the word glory is mentioned. In verse 4, he says, it says, when he heard this... Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. Note that. So that God's Son may be glorified through it. And the only way that Jesus would be ultimately glorified through this is if they knew that it was a miracle. And the only way they would know it was a miracle is if they were certain that Lazarus was dead. If they had any confusion that, oh, Jesus came and, oh, you know, suddenly Lazarus just woke up. Maybe he really was only asleep. No, it's going to take us two days to get there, so I'm going to wait another two days so that by the time I get there after four days, he's going to be good and dead, that everybody will know this is a miracle of the Lord and that God will get glorified. 
And a lot of times what God will do in our lives, and I've said, I've kind of coined this expression over the years, his delay is often for his display. Because a lot of times it seems that he's slow in keeping his promises or he doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. But oftentimes it's so that he can be displayed in our lives. And we won't know that unless we are patient enough to watch how he unfolds his plans for us according to his perfect timing. So timing is critical here. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what He's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know